Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, January 24th of 2023, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday, and in this case, a letter as well. The Sunday is January 29th of 2023. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be to participate, and today, we're calling in at 6 a.m., and for our friend Charles Willard of Minnesota, that's 5 a.m. Central. Thank you, Charles. Our team's working to be faithful to year A, and that puts us in the Gospel of Matthew, and during the coming weeks of Epiphany, using the letters identified in the lectionary to create understanding in the Gospel text. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. Here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the leadoff person shares some formative questions, and then in this virtual discussion room, we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah, introduce yourself. Sarah Mickelson in Tampa, Florida. Charles? Charles Willard in Minnesota. Bill? Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. Thank you. Oh, by the way, it's 20, it's 20 degrees here. <laughs> and it's 30 here. I'm Don Upton. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And today we are working with uh, two parts of the lectionary. One, of course, is the gospel, which is where we're seated each week. But we're also looking at Corinthians. And so I'm going to uh, read the Corinthians passage in a moment. But first, let's start with the gospel. So I'm going to turn to our friend Charles Willard uh, to read uh, that lectionary in uh, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Charles, would you do that for us? Yes, Although I was prepared to go the other way, so this is fine. <laughs> this, the, 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 Matthew, the, the gospel text for this particular Sunday is Matthew verse, uh, chapter, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will receive God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the, is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thanks, Charles. And then for the letters, we are reading uh, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, today it's uh, chapter 1 verses 18 through 31. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, 
God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. The Jews demand signs and Greek desire, the Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards, but not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to reduce to nothing the things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Well, let's let's dive right into this. This is an interesting combination of readings, and that's, of course, what the lectionary uh, planners have asked us to do. So I'm going to, uh, Sarah, start with you with the first question, if that's okay. Um, and, and here it is. What what do the First Corinthians and Matthew passages do to help us understand Paul's comments on foolishness, such as foolishness to those who are perishing? Are you uh, encountering messages about foolishness of the follower of the way, foolishness of the Christ <clears throat> from the outside, from others, or from the inside within yourself. Uh, so I'm trying to patch together the, the foolishness message, uh, of course, with what uh, we're reading in uh, Matthew. But uh, for each of you, this same question in our own hearts, foolishness from the outside and foolishness uh, from our own hearts. Sarah? I'm gonna I'm gonna say both and. Um, I'm regularly evaluating my knowledge and my awareness of presented and perceived wisdom. I'm continually reconsidering what I think is presented as wisdom and what is presented as folly. Um, do I know enough or all of it? No. <laughs> Am I teachable? I hope so. Um, and what might I learn from the scenario or situation presented or experienced? I'm always thinking about that. Um, am I growing more timid about um, – I am growing more timid about my confidence um, with which I speak in situations for people, to people, and uh, about problems. Um, have I been observant enough? What would or should I say that would be a loving response? Um and is a response needed? Because sometimes I'm guilty of fixing or trying to fix things. Um, I'm sure people in our listening circle will resonate with that, too, that oftentimes uh, things don't need to be fixed. We just need to listen. So um, I'm still pondering whether or not I'm, I'm even qualified to, to articulate Sarah, Bill Hall, what do you think? I think throughout this discussion and I think in later next weeks, there's a constant running contrast. And 
you said in your message to us in your email that we are taking the challenge of looking at the Sermon on the Mount through the lens of Paul's letters. I would say we're looking both ways. <laughs> we're interpreting the Matthew passage in light of Corinthians and Corinthians in light of Matthew. Um, foolishness, a strong word. Um, the Beatitudes are in this passage, and in a sense, they are foolish compared to the wisdom of the world. It, this reflection reminded me of something I hadn't thought of for years. As a small child growing up in the church, the custom was that all the children would gather together and sing courses and then go off by grade level, okay? And one that we often sang, I didn't know at the time where it was. It's in the Old Testament, Zechariah 4, 6. It's a very peppy song. I will spare you the trauma of my singing it for you. Not by might, nor by power, but by my, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And my father happened to be superintendent of the Sunday school, and he would often make the comment, I think, germane to your question, on reminding us as children there was a difference between God's way in the world and the human way in the world. And that's a chorus that's very relevant right now in our current situation, not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. Uh, I'm not using this as an advertisement, but my wife and I are currently working our way through the series, The Chosen. Uh, frankly, I've had mixed reactions to it, but it powerfully and consistently depicts how counterculture Jesus was and invited his disciples to be. And I think one thing that's true to the Bible in that TV series is that the disciples resist the wisdom of God. It's not just the people out there, the Roman authorities uh, or the Pharisees. Jesus' own disciples have trouble getting it. And, uh, Don, I, that's something I focus on thinking about your question is, how am I <laughs> living by the wisdom of the world? And it reminds me of a counseling concept. Behavior is a function of perception. The way I see you or the world or whatever leads to my behavior. So if I see the world through the power of dominance and wanting to be king of the mountain, that will, that will influence my behavior. If instead, admittedly, inadequately, I see somehow through the eyes of God, that will affect my behavior. Thank you. I, I think I just want to highlight you, you're making a segue, I think, to next week's podcast, which you're going to lead, where there's the tangibility of the gospel, the salt and light, uh, to, to help make it real for us. So, you know, this will be something we're going to continue in the, in the next week. Right. Charles, what, what, what do you think, Charles? I'm, I'm struck by the way that we 
approach these these uh, letter and gospel sayings. And one of the things that I'm eventually going to be able, I want to, would like to be able to go through and, and take a look and see just what difference it makes that we we approach the texts in the opposite way that they were actually created. Uh, the the gospel the gospels were written after Paul's letters, although we don't get them that way. And and and, and what difference that makes? I just I keep asking myself, you know. How did this come to pass? You know, why didn't somebody get it straightened out so that we know when the you know when the gospels were there and when the when the, the letters were written and how one, one follows the other? And then ask ourselves, you know, what was it that Paul was doing when he was writing all the things that he was writing, aware of all of the written and spoken parts of the gospel that were there, but we don't get it that way. We get it the other way around because the Bible that we have set it up that way. It's just it's a strange thing. I, I find it strange. Thank you. Well, and also a good reminder about these are minimum con- contemporary writings. Um, and, you know, to, to imagine how how principles of the Sermon of the Mount reaching the, tr- the new churches uh, across that part of the world is interesting to me, too. Uh, I, I, uh, I ask this question because I, I struggle with it. Uh, and, and for me, it's a reminder that repentance doesn't mean that the temptation of foolishness goes away. Uh, it doesn't mean that the ease of calling the gospel foolish disappears. Uh, and by saying that, I hear the gospel called foolish all the time in different dimensions. And I hear it in my own heart. So it doesn't mean that the inner voice of examining one's calling goes away either. I think it's important to state that. Uh, some might call it doubt. Uh and uh, let me throw out the sim- synonyms uh, of those who are perishing, foolish or perishing. And, and I'm using English. Forgive me, Charles. So we're using a translation, and then I'm using English synonyms. So I'm really off off base here. But I just think it's helpful when you think about foolishness, the synonyms we use today. Consider these. Stupid, witless, brainless, senseless, unintelligent. Ridiculous, absurd, nonsensical, preposterous, imprudent, thoughtless, impetuous, rash, reckless, foolhardy, half-baked, heedless, incautious, trivial, unimportant. And I, I think, I think Paul's issuing a challenge here, not just to consider foolishness of what he calls those who are perishing. You know how how do practical people, and I th- I think the foolishness is often in practical thinking. You know, become impetuous, uh, and then to turn it on ourselves. Do I hear the self criticism of the cross? You know that the cross is absurd, nonsensical, 
ridiculous, unintelligible, senseless, brainless. Do you hear that? I do. It's from the outside, yes, and I hear it from the inside as well. And then here's the Sermon on the Mount. I think the principles and the ethic of the Sermon on the Mount are present in this church that Paul's writing to. I think it's been tangible for the church in Corinth. Despite those things, despite the tangibility, Paul in the first chapter of this book is saying, despite those things, you don't seem to remember that you can taste it and you can feel it. And that within your own hearts, even now, you are still questioning <clears throat> what you're doing is foolish. So I think I think it's this back to the we talked about last week the setup of the first chapter. You know, don't consider just the foolishness of others, but I'll consider the, the 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 kind of bombardment of foolishness and the questioning of what you're doing in your own hearts, which really sets up chapter two quite nicely. Uh, so, uh, Bill Hall, the next question is uh, for you. Uh, Nice, simple one, Harry. <laughs> what is the wisdom of the wise, friend? What is the wisdom of the wise? Uh, short but challenging question. Um, assuming you're referring to verse 19, it says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart, uh, reference to Isaiah 29 verse 14 in the Old Testament. So in that context, the wisdom of the wise, we are told that there's such strong language in this foolishness. And there's that list of synonyms you were saying a moment ago. (laughs) Powerful, powerful language. This is referring to the wisdom of the supposed wise that, that is going to be destroyed in light of the wisdom of God. And you're right, there are connections between this week and next week. And this contrast between the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of those who think they're wise and the wisdom of God just goes on and on. It's interesting to me, by my count, in the New Revised Standard Version, in these 23 verses of 1 Corinthians, the word a form of wisdom or wise occurs 12 times, 12 times in 23 verses. <laughs> That's a signal to us that, that this contrast is so important to Paul and, and to us. And I think you, you say, what is the wisdom of the wise? I think it has to do with self-delusions. I think it has to do with pride and ego. Um, all of us would want to be thought of as wise, um, at least in my brain, in and of itself. Wisdom is is a warm, fuzzy concept, uh, a, a powerful to to see things clearly. Uh, Sarah, I think you were referring to how you keep uh, learning and wanting to be teachable, and there again is a. A positive term. I, I want to be teachable. Hopefully, this podcast is about all of our being uh, uh, teachable. So, uh, again, it's a challenging concept, Don, that, and I, I hesitate because I think there's so much here that I think I'm not yet seeing, but I like that, that it's a journey. 
uh, we don't have to wrap this all up in a neat little package and bow it and give it. Uh, we keep searching, and I still want to be wise, and I hope that is in part the wisdom of God. Thanks. I, I, one of Paul's pointing out, just a reminder of how powerful the wisdom of the wise is in our lives. Like you, Bill, you're saying, it's like, I want, I want to be wise. We want to be wise. But there's a, re- there's a practical reason for that, which makes why, I think why it's so overwhelming. It can overwhelm the gospel. Uh, and, you know, I make up my own reasons now. I'm not pulling this out of synonyms. But, you know, the reason the wise matters, wisdom matters, is because it's settled. It's usually practical. It's utilitarian. It's cautious. It's pragmatic. It's experienced. It's handed down to the generations. It's repeatable. It's understandable. It's tested. Systems outcome-oriented. It's predictable. It involves risk management. So I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think Paul's saying you know look away. Just realize that the 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 in the in the course of human affairs, wisdom is deeply seated in our hearts for a lot of practical reasons. The wisdom of the wise works. It has a payoff. It's proven. And, and I think it's a reminder how how overwhelming that practical thinking can be because uh, there's a great reversal taking place. Uh, and if we don't touch it and feel it and taste it, uh, we'll be overtaken by the wisdom of the wise. And I want to just uh, use N.T. Wright who wrote in the resurrection of the son of God about this reversal. And he he refers to a bunch of texts in Matthew, which is the book we're reading about healing and resurrection. Uh, The widow's son, uh, Jairus's daughter, for example, you just resurrections, healing radical things that are taking place. And he says, quote, not the least the beatitudes that speak of a great reversal for the hungry to be filled, for the persecuted to inherit the kingdom. Something dramatic must be about to happen, unquote. And I think that's one of the reasons the lectionary committee put that together with what Paul is establishing here, that that reverse, we have to confront that reversal and what it's doing in the church uh, in order to not be overwhelmed with the utility, the practicality of the wisdom of the wise. There's so much more. Sir, what do you think about the wisdom of the wise? Arrogant. It it's seductive. It's got no lure. It lends itself to being easily lifted and applied. Um, no. Uh, I think one of the things that's interesting to me is that the wisdom of the wise seems to be an unbending confidence in personal perception or experience, and sometimes just plain being right, and perhaps an unwavering sense of righteousness that's operating with a reckless sense of judgment and no compassion, or love. I think that's the other piece of the puzzle that may be missing. If, if, if you're applying what would be common wisdom without compassion or love, it's not something that's going to hold people together. So um, I think the wisdom of 
wisdom of the wise is also failing to recognize a simple truth because it's just too simple. You know, the Occam's razor idea that the generally the least complicated answer is the right one. And um and I like that, you know, we as human beings are are prone to learning from experience and building consensus and looking at what happened in other places and applying it to our condition. Um, that that's a part of our learning and our understanding. And I'm going to go with it's probably a part of the creator that we have embedded in our DNA. Our challenge is letting go of the idea that we have all the puzzle pieces and can see the whole picture, even when the puzzle is not put together. Thanks. Charles, your thoughts on the wisdom of the why? I think this is a good time for me not to speak. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to move on to the, the final question. Uh, and uh, Charles, I might start with you on this one, see if you want to get it kicked <laughs> off. <laughs> I got you. Uh, so there, there's a statement in here about our own call. Paul calls it, you know, our own our call using Paul's words. Uh, and I'm wondering, and I'm asking all of us to search our hearts, what about our own call is unique, but also what makes it collective and related to unity? Because Paul's raising this on a very personal level, but he's also raising it with the church as a whole. So what about your own call is unique, and at the same time what makes it collective and relates it to the unity of the church that Paul's talking about. Charles, can I start with you? Yes. Um, I think I, I was going to say was, uh, but I think I, it's, it's probably a present tense. Uh, I am still uh, deluded or guided or guided in strange ways I was trying to think how how I had finally gotten this worded out in my own little head a while back. It was a phrase that that uh, is 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 around in the in the, in the historical discussions of belief. Um, and I think I think I found for the longest time that I really was a good example of believing helped my unbelief because I I certainly appeared to be doing all the right things that as I went to church I went to seminary after having spent three years in the Middle East as a, as a short-term missionary. And I was still looking for understanding because I didn't have, I didn't have things that I could point to and say, there it is, there's why I believe. And it was a strange experience. And I spent most of my life trying to come to terms with that 
and finally realized that it wasn't going to come to terms. It was just going to be the way it was, and I was going to have to work with it and live with it and be with it, which is which is what's happened. Thank and you, I have, I have, I have hope. I, I put it this way: I, I have hope for the, the, uh, the doubters and the unbelievers. Uh, in my own life, my relationship with my wife has changed dramatically since we moved here to uh, Minnesota. And I don't put that on the poor folks here in Minnesota who have to put up with us, but just the way it is. And, and after. After over over almost almost sixty years of marriage, we see each other completely differently now. And I just invite all y'all to be aware and open to that possibility in your own lives. Thank you. I want to point out that, if you don't mind, Charles, after you explored those things and put that out for all the listeners that. Most don't most don't watch on Zoom, and I want to point out over your right shoulder is the Doctor of Divinity degree from Harvard. Sarah, um, I think that uh, if I were to make um, a statement about my own call and how it's unique, it would be a sharp and persistent understanding of my need for God's grace. A keen awareness that I am not God, but that I need God for everything else to hold value and to hold together. Um, I exist and perceive beauty only because of the grace of God. I think one of the curious things that's happened in my world is I grew up in a Presbyterian church, was baptized Methodist, grew up in a Presbyterian church, remember distinctly standing on a pew repeating the Apostles' Creed when I was three or four at a church in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. And and I remember thinking to myself, this is what we do. This is what we, we do. We do this together as a family. And that felt to me like the beginning. And it's been the same ever since. I'm still standing on a pew reciting the Apostles' Creed, trying to figure it out. So I think it is unity. I think it's coming together as a family. Thank you. Bill, I'm going to go next. Just I'm saying that because there's no better guy to wrap this up than you, so heads up, coming at you. Uh, I, 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 I raised these questions this week because I was struggling with all of them. And with this one, I just had to, I just finally just kept writing it down. So I just put a few sentences together. And forgive me, I'm just going to read them. I think it's unique, unique to me, unique personally, because it's easy and practical to examine the call as an act of foolishness. That we have, that, I, that, that the challenge is to confront the fact that the voice of foolishness is there. And that involves every individual heart. I think Paul is saying, we're all there. I think you hear this podcast family expressing that. We're all there. There's, that is a common trait. And the wisdom of the wise is floating all around us. 
But it's also about unity because the impacts we see require the support systems of communities and the collective actions of churches. And in my experience, calling oneself foolish, which I'm good at, needs the input of others who probably deal with the same thing. And it smells a lot like doubt. But it's also about unity because we believe the whole community and the whole conversation with ourselves involves the Spirit of God. And Paul is telling the Corinthians that that matter, that matter of that conversation, the, the presence of the Spirit of God is settled. And we can say that to each other. Bill Holt, you get to wrap this up. What are your thoughts? <clears throat> Thanks for the challenge. <laughs> uh, we, as a team, uh, sometimes josh with each other about our terminology, and Don and I have fun with my love of word mall. <laughs> and Sarah, alert, here comes another one of Bill's both ands. <laughs> I resonate with the both and of this question, Don. Um, unique and yet collective and unity. When I got your question, I underlined and highlighted those three words because I think it gets at the the heart of wisdom, the wisdom of God, the both and. Moses stood alone in front of the burning bush, and yet his call, his response to that call affected a whole nation of people. Jesus stood alone in the desert facing temptation, and yet his behavior there shapes our lives. And Saul, later Paul, uh, had a unique experience on the road to Damascus. And yet we're reading his words about unity, <clears throat> both and. Um, I really resonate with my own call when I read. Consider your own call. Not many of you were wise, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. <clears throat> I've shared before on these podcasts briefly that I think I outdid Moses in resisting when I began to sense uh, a tug uh, toward being a minister. I thought that is absolutely beyond my capability. I still think that it is. <laughs> But growing up, uh, the examples of faith and action had an imprint on me, helping shape my understanding of myself and what God wanted me to do with my life. I think seeing my parents and others, imperfect human beings who took the gospel seriously, especially with the motto, if you see a need, meet a need, uh, the greater good, all of that, said to me that faith matters and how we understand God matters. I think all of that helped prepare me for later the individual unique call that I think I responded to uh, correctly. Um, And also, as I studied and as science and others help us understand, all of life is connected. What happens in one part of the world affects the rest. The universe is a collective and yet unique creation. And then I will end with, we haven't studied the Beatitudes this time. That's fine. They're fairly familiar. I think they are very much grounded in the both and that you offer us. It's a unique individual choice to seek righteousness. And yet in seeking 
righteousness, it involves the rest of humanity. So thank you again for unique, collective, and unity. Well, thank you, folks. Uh, And we're about to wrap up, but before we say goodbye, I'm just going to look around, see if there's any follow-up comments to wrap up. We good, everybody? Very good. Great. Well, uh, Palmasia Presbyterian Church podcast possible, and we thank them. They're at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We commend that site to you for great sermons, Sunday school, the opportunity to take communion, outstanding music, prayer, meditation, differences of opinion and studies. So check that out. And then I want to highlight the next podcast because we're going to pick up right where we left off. We're turning the page into Chapter 2. We're staying in Matthew, so it's going to be Matthew, Salt, and Light. And then we're going to go into Chapter 2 of Corinthians, and Bill Hull is going to lead that discussion. So check that out. You're always welcome. We'll see you next time.